0: Please feel free to grab some coffee. Um, So like several of you, I I did get to that wedding last night. And um, I love going. I love, love going to weddings. And, um, you know, as someone who was lost for a long time, I I didn't find Christ. I didn't acknowledge Christ until I was 30. I went to a lot of non-Christian weddings. That were about a lot of things, but one of the things that I I found that all weddings have in common, whether they're Christian weddings or non-Christian weddings, um, is they're hopeful. And um, I think what I was reminded of last night is the major difference in a Christian wedding versus a non-Christian wedding. That was a beautiful wedding last night, beautifully um, (coughs) preached by Pastor Clay is that there's an object of hope, which is honestly greater than those two broken people that are standing up at the altar making promises that they frankly can't keep on their own. And as, as a wedding is meant to display the gospel and really to, 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 to be an image of Christ's bride um, connecting with Christ, um, Clay made much of the need for the gospel And so, as we're hopeful, just like we're hopeful the day we bend our knee finally and bow our head and acknowledge who He is and who we aren't and who we need, um, you don't often hear the gospel so well explained. And the need that, look, if your wedding's got a shot at at resulting in a fruitful marriage, it's going to be about Christ and the gospel. And um, so, there's sort of the everyday piece. Of that, And you don't hear the sermon at the wedding where they go, okay, so tomorrow morning when you wake up and you realize you blew it yesterday, now what? And so I just want to do a couple things this morning. We're going through our summertime together as a class, and and one of the things we're going to talk about is family devotions and um, what that might look like. I don't pretend, so a lot of disclaimers up front, and then we'll get on with it. I don't do family devotions um, nearly enough or nearly as well as I ought to for someone who's been walking with the Lord, you know, for almost 30 years at this point. But that said, um, sim- there are simple ways to get started. And and so rather than make the bar this high, I'm going to try to set the bar about here today and then just give you a, a, a thought about how to do that. Um, thinking about, you know, family devotions at our house, we've got, you know, in any given time we've had you know, the two-year-old is at the same table as the 18-year-old. And we're trying to kind of get all six kids oriented around and then have a, a meaningful time together. And so sometimes I, I think you can't go wrong with great material. And, and sometimes what I'll do is if I've been reading, say, morning and evening, uh, one of my favorite devotions, is as, as Mark Hager uh, says, you know, I'm, I'm eating my crumbs of bread in the morning <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> or maybe I should be feasting. But for those crumbs of bread, you find a, an opportunity sometimes to, uh, to get a message out to your, your sweet family for that special time together. So um, we're going to dive in. The morning after, you blew it. You thought it. You said it. You sought it out. You found it. You did it. You didn't do it. You sat by. And watched it happen. Um, I don't know what it looked like for you. I don't know when you did it, but I know you sinned. Um, you <laughs> you. I, I, I know almost everybody in this room, a professing believer, sin, and you call yourself a Christian. You knew better. <laughs> you know better. You have been saved, right? Right? Um, so, what's next? Do you need a Nathan to tell you you are that man? Um, possibly. Sometimes we need that Nathan in our lives, right? But most of the time we don't. Uh, most likely you don't need a Nathan because your conscience is doing that plenty good. Just, just well enough. Okay? You're condemned. Rightly condemned. Yes. Um, You want to crawl under a rock and hide. We've all been there, right? I know what it's like to want to crawl under a rock and hide. Um, We all do, and I want you to know you're not alone. You're not alone. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Uh, Friends, I, I just... I want you to know that hiding from God, in addition to not being possible, is not wise. And um, I was talking to my kids last night as we were driving home from the party, and we noticed there were some kid or from the, the reception, we noticed there were some kids on the street, uh, you know, that, that dangerous county, or the last bit of county road before you pull into the, the Henry's place. And there were kids out after dark playing. And my daughters kind of looked out there and said, wow, those kids are outside so playing. I said, yeah, it used to be what we did. There was no TV, there was nothing inside that I wanted to be inside for on a summer night. All I wanted to do was stay out there and play with my friends and play hide and go seek until my parents called me in. I didn't, there was nothing to do, there were no games, there was nothing on TV that I wanted to watch at 10 o'clock at night. I just wanted to be outside hiding and being inside. And uh, that was fun because it was possible. Hide from somebody that I was having fun with. It's not possible to hide from God. So if you're going to hide, I want to encourage you to hide the way those who've gone before us in the faith have hidden. Okay? And so that's what we're going to talk about. Where can we go when we're naked and ashamed before our God? Where can we hide? I want to remind us this morning that, that we who have experienced salvation have a place to hide when our journey of sanctification has taken a distinct turn off the narrow path and onto the wide road? How do you find your way back? The book of Psalms was formed during the entire period of the Old Testament. I know that because I read it in a really fine Bible commentary online. (laughs) So there's theology there. The theology of the Psalms is as large as the Old Testament, okay? Which means it points us to Christ. Martin Luther called the Psalms a little Bible. You ever got those little Gideon's Bibles? I always wondered why they had the whole New Testament, they had all the Proverbs, and then they had Psalms in the back. And now, as I was reading this, I realized, well, that's the whole Bible right there. The whole Old Testament is there. So you think you've only got part of the Bible? you got the whole Old Testament in summary, at least according to Martin Luther. And he knew some stuff. Martin Luther called the Psalms a little Bible and a summary of the Old Testament. Um, the Psalms looked forward to Christ's coming. The Psalms speak of His suffering. The Psalms speak of His glory. Jesus and the New Testament writers use the Psalm after uses Psalm after Psalm to express His own suffering and glorification. In addition, Jesus was revealed as the object of the worship of the Psalms. So they point to him. This is interesting. Since Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, the hymns and laments of the Psalms are directed to him in the same way as to the Father and the Spirit. And Jesus is not only a singer of the Psalms, a quoter of the Psalms, but he's also the focus of the Psalms. And if anybody else would do that, you'd think there's ego. But what we're seeing on lay there is perfection, and pointing us to something that is transcendent. So we can sing our praises. Um, we can sing to Him our praise. We can tell Him our complaints and petitions, and we can thank Him for our goodness just by reading the Psalms. We can find in Him, or in the Psalms, our confidence in Him and rest. We can hide in the Psalms. And so there's a lot of Psalms, there's a lot of genres out there as far as the Psalms are concerned, but the Psalms I wanted to kind of talk about a little bit more detail this morning are the Penitential Psalms, and, and many of you would be familiar with that. There's all kinds of different ways to, to count them, but but most, um, most scholars have said there's seven Penitential Psalms, six, 32, 38, 51, 102, 130, and 143. Those are the ones that, that oftentimes we'll hear about. And I, I will just tell you, those those penitential psalms, those are those are unique in that they're individual laments, okay, which is sort of a woe is me, I am undone kind of psalm. Okay. Individual laments where the psalmist expresses his trust in the Lord at the end, typically ends with trusting in the Lord, but after doing some hard slogging through confessing weakness or sin thus the psalms can renew our minds and apply the healing balm of the gospel in the midst of our lowest and deepest place it's usually a place that we found all by ourselves so a quick side trail on how the penitential psalms have been used and i'm going to even dare say misused in church history this first example is misuse. so one historian noted Galileo, this you thought this was Bible Bible time at church, not science class, but yeah. Galileo was imprisoned by the I- Inquisition at Rome. Remember what he was imprisoned for? What's that? The sun, was the, the sun was the center of the universe, and everybody knew that wasn't true, right? So, seven years he was imprisoned by the, uh, by the Inquisition for asserting the, the Copernican system, again, the astronomical model in which the Earth and the planets revolve around the sun at the center of the universe, so he was imprisoned. And so guess what? He was assigned by the Inquisition as his penance to repeat the seven penitential psalms every week for three years. I'm kind of thinking back to Brer Rabbit. Please don't throw me in that briar patch. This must have been intended as, as extorting some sort of, sort of confession from him as guilt, an acknowledgment of the justice of his sentence, and in which there certainly was some cleverness, indeed, I guess a little bit of humor, although if you don't know you're being humorous, it may not count. But it certainly added to the evilness or foolishness of the Inquisition. The, the, in, the, in, the, in the relief of history, not a good move. But otherwise, it's not easy to understand what idea of painfulness or punishment the Catholic fathers would attach to a devotional exercise such as this, which in every way could only have been agreeable and consoling to dear Galileo. Luther's table talk. It is said of Luther that one day he was asked which of all the psalms were the best. And he answered, psalmi paulini which uh, i don't speak much latin but i think that means the psalms of paul and um, you may notice that you're not going to see that in a title to any of the psalms so they're saying hey wait a minute what do you mean by that which which ones are the psalms of paul and he said well the 32nd and the 51st the 130th and the 143rd for they all teach listen for the echoes of our sermon series in romans that we've been so well taught these many weeks For they all teach that the forgiveness of our sins comes apart from the law and apart from works. To the man who believes, and therefore I call them Pauline Psalms. So, linking the entire Old Testament to the new. The gospel for the believer today. There is forgiveness with you. That you may be feared. This is just what Paul says, and we'll cover that in a minute. God has accounted them all in unbelief that he may have mercy upon all. Right, that's Romans eleven thirty two. But it's something that we've already been there in Romans chapter three. Um, and why? So that no man may boast of his own righteousness. That word that you may be feared, dusts away with one sweep of a hand, God's mighty hand, all human merit, and teaches us to uncover our heads, stop hiding before God, and confess it. And, and confess it is mere forgiveness and not merit that allows us to have any standing whatsoever. Uh, so, going in a little bit narrowing the focus to Psalm 51 and, and Psalm 32, which we're going to both we're going to talk about both this morning in the time that we have left. I, I love it uh, here in a 16th century Scottish pastor. Just the name Archibald Simpson makes him quote worthy in my mind. But he probably <laughs> says it's a didactic psalm in a. In a in you know with a brogue that, uh, that that any of us would envy but he says it's a didactic psalm essentially david and those psalms teaches sinners to repent by his doctrine recalling that this is the same david this is what i want you to hear believer brother sister this is the same david teaching us how to repent who taught us how to sin right by his own example david the man after god of god's own heart um This man, Archibald Sampson, says, uh, This science is universal and is relevant to all men, and which necessarily we must all learn. Every one of us Christians needs to learn how to repent after we've blown it and stop hiding. Presidents, pastors, people, men, women, children, tradesmen, scholars, all need to grasp this teaching, without which lesson any other teaching that we have to offer is unprofitable. So to the point, here's here's what Sampson says. This is a mark of a truly repentant Christian when he has been a stumbling block to others to be as deliberate to raise them up by his repentance as he was hurtful to them by his sin. And I never think that a man is truly penitent who is ashamed to teach sinners repentance by his own particular example. The Samaritan woman, when she was converted, left her bucket at the well. She entered the city and she said, Come and see, there's a man who's told me everything that I ever did. She didn't go there as, as some paragon of, of virtue. She went there to say, he knows me and he loves me. And our Savior said to the Apostle Peter, Satan demanded to have you so that you may be sifted like wheat, but I pray for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. What you've undone, Do. Better. Paul, also after his conversion, is not ashamed to call himself what? Chiefs. Chief among sinners. Right? And to teach others to repent of their sins by repenting for his own. Happy and doubly happy is the man. I'm still quoting Samson here, minus the accent. Is the man who can rebuild as much as he is broken. Happy and doubly happy. I think he said triply happy. So back to you and me hiding under that rock. <laughs> okay. Let's, let's, uh, let's read Psalm 51 together. you can open it up, I'll read out of the ESV. This is a go-to, at least for this sinner. This is a go-to. Have mercy on me, God. I have a hard time thinking about singing this, but I don't have a hard time praying this emphatically. <clears throat> have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. In the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear, ending on the high note, praising God, speaking of his glory. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart of God and renew a right spirit within me. And we can go on, cast me not from your presence, take, me, take not your Holy Spirit from me, and we'll stop there for now. This is a song that will be balm to your broken soul the morning after. Um, so, family devotion time. Morning and evening. Your crumb of bread that is, that is a, a piece of a beautiful loaf that's a feast. August 29th, morning reading, Psalm 51 1 from Spurgeon. Have mercy on me, God. Have mercy. So, when I do a family devotion, uh, one of the challenges that I have in speaking Spurgeon to my kiddos is there's a lot of these and thous. And just like I've taken poetic license so far in quoting people and editing their words, I'm not publishing anybody, I'm not looking for a good grade on my paper. Uh, I don't, I don't worry about footnotes. Pastor Brody freed me of that uh, the other <laughs> night. He actually mentioned the very same thing. I will tell you, this is not me. I'm just trying to get out of the way, but I'm also going to try to let old English get out of the way, or or anachronistic <laughs> language get out of the way too. All right, so I will just take license with my family. If if he quotes somebody that everybody knew uh, back in 1843. Um, and I don't know who that is, and I'm going to try to figure out who that guy is and try to tell somebody at my table. So when he says, hey, when Dr. Carey was suffering from a danger, dangerous illness, the first thing I say is, who's Dr. Carey? Um, so then I have to figure out who that guy is. And so he was considered, so he's, uh, it was a good uh, bi- biography to read because he was a Baptist missionary. He was actually considered one of the fathers of Baptist missions. He was a missionary to India. He was kicked out of the English parts of India of India because he was a Baptist. And so he ended up in the in the Dutch part. And he ended up being there for many, many years, starting a seminary, translating the Bible into multiple dialects that, that were appropriate. So here's a man, like I don't know if Dr. Carey, uh, bef- when I first read this, I don't know if he's Dr. Jekyll, if he's Mr. Hyde, or Dr. Carey. But now I know that when Spurgeon says Dr. Carey was suffering from a dangerous illness, I, I'm thinking, Here's a giant of the faith. Here's a guy who's pretty solid with his credentials. So as I'm talking to my kids, I'm like, so here's a good man with great works and a body of them over, over decades of service. When Dr. Carey was suffering from a dangerous illness, the inquiry was made. If this sickness should prove fatal, good doctor, what passage would you select as the text for your funeral sermon? And he replied, oh, I feel that such a poor, sinful creature is unworthy to have anything said about it. But if a funeral sermon must be preached, let it be from the words, Have mercy upon me, O God, have mercy. According to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. In the same spirit of humility, he directed in his will that the following inscription and nothing more should be cut on his gravestone. William Carey, he didn't know the day he was going to die, Born August 17, 1761, died, date unfilled in his will. A wretched, poor, and helpless worm, on thy kind arms I fall. Into your loving arms I fall. So now we're talking about a penitential song, the morning after. Only on the foundation of free grace can the most experienced and even the most honored of saints approach their God. We say the ground's always level before the foot of the cross. The best of men are conscious above all that they are men at the best. The best of men are conscious above all that they are men at the best. Uh, Here's a great Spurgeon quote. Empty boats float high, but heavily laden vessels are low in the water. So mere professors, the ones who do lip service, mere professors can boast, but true children of God cry for mercy upon their unprofitableness. So we can apply this. We have need that the Lord should have mercy upon our good works. Think about this. He's gonna go from the good stuff to the ugly stuff. Our good works need mercy because they're probably tainted by sin. Somewhere between selfishness and pride and, and, and the applause of man is where we can find our good works. They need mercy. Our prayers, our preachings, our, our almsgiving, so giving to the poor, our holiest things. Good reminder, the blood was not only sprinkled on the doorposts of Israel's dwelling house, but on the sanctuary, the mercy seat, and the altar. Because as sin intrudes into our holiest things, the blood of Jesus is needed to purify even our holiest things from their defilement. And so if we need that, if mercy needs to be exercised towards our duties, what shall be said of our sins? How sweet the remembrance that inexhaustible mercy is waiting to be gracious to us, to restore our backslidings, not just one and done, that first profession, but every day, every day that we walk this earth. Where are you going to hide? Hide there. How sweet the remembrance that inexhaustible, alien mercy is is waiting to be gracious to us to restore our backsliding so that's a family devotion just a quick one and then a great opportunity to chat with the family um, i'm going to move quickly through a couple more psalm 51 10 a backslider just talked about backsliders so now we're on october 31st morning reading a backslider renew a right spirit within me lord psalm 51:10, a backslider which any of us should be rightly accounted. If there's a spark of life, left in him will groan after restoration. Lord, again, here I am. Um, In this renewal, the same exercise of grace is required as at our conversion. So make the point that, that the gospel is for Christians every day. For we Christians, every day. Okay, we needed it at conversion, we need it every day. Okay, the same one is required. We needed repentance then; we certainly need it now. We wanted faith; yes, yes. we lacked it, um, so that we asked for faith we might come to Christ at first. Only like that, only the very same grace can bring us to Jesus today. We wanted a word from Christ the Most High at salvation. We wanted a word from the mouth of the loving One to end our fears then, and we soon discover when under a sense of presence in that we need it now, then and now, then and now. So so teach yourself this truth. Apply this truth, then and now. And it's the same grace. Okay? Um, no man can be renewed without a real and true manifestation of the Holy Spirit's energy as he felt it at first because the work is as great and flesh and blood are as much in the way now as they ever were. Um, this is one of those that thoughts that is free. when you begin to doubt, when you have questions about assurance. Was that real? Was that profession genuine? Yeah, that profession was genuine. Um, Let your personal weakness, Christian, be an argument to make you pray earnestly to your God for help. Remember David. When he felt himself to be powerless, he didn't fold his arms or close his lips. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. But he hurried to the mercy seat with renew a right spirit within me. Don't let the doctrine that you unaided can do nothing make you sleep, but let it be a a thorn in your side to drive you with an awful sincerity to Israel's strong helper. Let that go, (coughs) that thorn in your side, drive you to the Lord. Um, Oh, that you may have grace to plead with God as though you pleaded for your very life. Lord, renew a right spirit within me. Please, Keep not your spirit from me, but renew a right spirit within me. He who sincerely prays to God to do this will prove his honesty. I'm no longer hiding, Lord. I'm no longer hiding. Will prove his honesty by using the means which, uh, through which God works. Be much in prayer. Live much upon the word of God. Kill the lusts which have driven your Lord from you. Be careful to watch over your future uprisings of sin. The Lord has his own appointed ways. Sit by the wayside, and you will be ready when he passes by. Sit by. Are you waiting? Are you anticipating? Look for him. Continue in all those blessed ordinances, all those habits which will foster and nourish your dying graces, and know that all the power must proceed from him. Cease not to cry. Don't ever stop crying. Don't ever give up. Renew a right spirit within me. And then finally, finally, Psalm 32, 5. And these two psalms, they say go together, even though 51 uh, is after most people think that 32 is a logical psalm to follow up on. Uh, Psalm 51. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and my iniquity iniquity have I I not hid. I didn't hide from you. Psalm 32, 5. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sins. So here's where I want you to go. David's grief for sin. His own sin was bitter. Its effects were visible on his body. His bones. Read this psalm and ask yourself, what does it feel like to have dried up bones like wax? I think it should be your very core and your your foundation. They've They've given way. His moisture was turned into the drought of summer. No remedy. He couldn't find a single remedy until he made full confession before the throne of heavenly grace. He's tried hiding everywhere else. He tells that for a time he kept silent, and his heart became more and more filled with grief, like a mountain creek whose outlet is blocked up, his soul was swollen with floods of sorrow. And he made excuses. And he pawned it off. And he tried to justify it. Right? Right? And he struggled to put it out of his mind. You ever try to do that? I just won't think about it anymore. Um, but it was all no good. Like a festering wound his anguish gathered, and he refused to use the scalpel of confession. Do you see confession of your sins as a scalpel before the Holy God? Um, use it as that scalpel. That's the only way forward. Um, His anguish gathered because he refused to use the scalpel of confession. His spirit was full of torment, and he knew no rest. That is not the night where you want to lose that sleep. And at last it came to this, that he must return unto his God in humble penitence or die outright. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Renew a right spirit within me. Remove not your spirit from me. Cast me not from your presence, Lord. So he hastened to the mercy seat, and there he unrolled the scroll of all of his sins before the all-seeing One. Where are you, Adam? Where are you, Eve? He knew all along. Right, acknowledging the evil of his ways in language such as you will read in this 51st and other penitential psalms. Having done this, a work so simple, think about this—simplest thing you could ever do—but so difficult because of our pride. He received at once the token of divine forgiveness. The bones which had been broken were made to rejoice, and he came forth from his closet to sing the blessedness of man, of the man whose transgression is forgiven. See the value of grace, fashion, confession of sin. Prize it above all prize, um, not because our repentance and confession deserve mercy, but for Christ's sake. All right. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that you might be sifted like we. But I, Jesus, have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. All right, let's pray for Father God, I pray that we would hide ourselves in the shadow and the safety of the shelter of your wings. That we would stop running. That we would stop trying to hide our sin from you who sees all and instead turn it over to you who is merciful above all. And I pray that we would be encouraged and we would encourage our others once we've cleared these matters up with you. And I ask it in Jesus' sweet name. Amen.